0: Praise God. God's good. Oh, man. Got a little warm in the sanctuary with you guys jumping up and down and all around. It's amazing. Um, You know, in the church today, we've lost uh, a lot of times uh, the emotional or the um, connecting part. I I shouldn't even say emotional, but it's that connecting with the Lord in our worship, And uh, I thank God that you were connecting with the Lord in your worship today. Anybody feel different as a result of your worship? Anybody have a little more joy now because of your worship? You believe uh, God and your faith has been extended and you uh, know God is doing something in your life and in the lives of the people around you. Well, I am really excited to about today, to about starting our uh, study on Ephesians. I'm going to go ahead and start, even though the offering's uh, not done. Um, I'm really excited about um, starting this uh, series. And, um, you know, last week I shared just a little bit um, to kind of whet our appetite, you know, and I talked about how the, the book of Ephesians um, I, I want you to know today, guys, that we're only going to graze the surface of the book of Ephesians. As I said last week, it's the Grand Canyon of the gospel. It's the it's it's the the beauty and the mystery of the Lord is just jam packed full in the book of Ephesians, and we are going to get a delight in it. And I'm going to do some broad strokes. Uh, I shared even last week with you that if I was to go into it, truly. On an expository level, we, we would spend the rest of the year on the book of Ephesians. And I shared with you how many uh, people in the past uh, have spent sermon after sermon after sermon, page after page after page on the book of Ephesians. It's inexhaustible, And uh, I have so much to learn myself about the book of Ephesians. Uh, my, what I know about Ephesians is very small. And we're going to begin to dive into this as God is maturing us. Is anybody excited about the study? Is there anybody else excited about the study? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want you to participate. So today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to give you, uh, I'm really going to wet your whistle. And uh, I want to inspire you, I want to challenge you that the urgency of the hour, there is an urgency to the hour in which we live, and the body of Christ has got to mature and grow up and know the Word of God and have it inside of us so that we might perform and do the works of the Lord in this hour. People need you. In our city, in our region, people need you to know the Word of God. They need you to live the Word of God. Can I have an amen on that? And we want to have the Spirit, but we want the Word. The Spirit and the Word, as Gage preached so wonderfully, must be married together. You cannot have one without the other. Amen? The Word without the Spirit is dead, and the Spirit without the Word is dangerous. The Word... Without the Spirit of God is dead. It's only words. And having the Spirit of God without the foundation of the Word of God, you become dangerous. Because you think that everything floats through your mind is God, and it may not be, and you have to know the Word of God as your foundation that what you get from the Spirit, and as God speaks to you, it must line up with the Word of God. Can I have an Amen. And I've heard some crazy things come out of people's mouths as they felt the things of the Spirit, and they've declared them, and they're not biblical at all. And you go, hmm, was that the Spirit? And so the Word of God gives us the foundation to know that what we're getting in the Spirit, what we're getting from God, is true and accurate. Amen? And so we have got to be men and women of the Word. And so we've been being challenged over the last several weeks of really having a joy and a desire to learn and grow. We were, I was doing a teaching uh, last week, and in the teaching on discipleship, um, it said in that study, it went right along with Pastor Tom's message that 60% of Americans, after they gra- graduate high school, do not read another book. Wow. 60% of Americans, after they graduate high school, do not read another book, including the Bible. <laughs> and we are a different group than that. Can I have an amen on that? We're changing that. Can I have an amen? <laughs> Tell me, are we, we, we love to read, right? <laughs> Call those things that are not as though they are. Say I'm becoming a lover of the Word of God. Amen. So we're on this study this week and uh, this next several weeks on Ephesians, and it can be mined for some power mind mind as in gold mining. Okay, Mind for powerful truths that change us. And the first three chapters, as we get into it, it talks about the doctrine. It talks about what God has done to us. And then the last three chapters talk about what God wants to do through us. Are you guys cool about that? How we should live. And you're going to get into, the, as we get into this study, there's going to be things that come up and you're going to go, wow, God has done that for me. I'm going to get a river revelation of my identity in Christ. I'm going to get a revelation of what, what he has done for me and in me. And that that is then going to compel me to live a different way. And so I'm excited about the study. Are you guys too? Yeah. Amen. So we're going to mind some truths. In Ephesians 1, we're not going to go there right now, Paul has this prayer in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, and this is the prayer that he prays. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And so that's the journey we're on. We're asking God. Every time we read the book of Ephesians, every time we go through this study, we're going to be praying, oh God, release a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I might have a knowledge of him and his glory and who he is. Because when I behold his glory, it changes me. When I begin to discover who he is, I become a different man. Amen? So that's the journey we're on. So we do not know Christ, we do not know him as he is to be known, believe it or not. Right now, you do not know Christ the way he needs to be known in your life. You have a measure of understanding of God, you're a lot like Job, all of us. You know, where Job came to the end of his life in chapter 42 of Job, he says, I had heard about the Lord, but now my eyes have seen him. That's the journey we're on. We've known and we've heard about God, but man, it's got to go deeper. There has to be this transforming revelation that takes place where we begin to know Christ in the fullness of his glory. Is anybody excited about getting in that place? Because that's where I want to go. I don't want just a bunch of knowledge, but I want something to change me on the inside where I become a different man. (laughs) There's an urgency to this, I'm telling you. But here's what I find, not many are hungry for, to dive into seeking the revelation and the beauty of, he, of him and who he is and what he has done for us. And I am praying that today I can begin to just whet your appetite. Today I'm hoping that God by his power will just really help us and that there will begin to be a hunger that comes from him that comes inside of us where we want to know more about the Lord that he would increase, you know, Sprite. What is Sprite's uh, logo? Obey your thirst. I'm praying that the Spirit of God will help us to begin to create thirst within us for the Word of God. I am hungry for more of the Word in his presence. Amen? Amen. So we're going to obey our thirst. Amen? God's good. So we're going to go deeper today, and uh, we're going to go deeper into that, and I believe we're going to become that church that is theologically sound, has theologically sound doctrine. Amen? So, what I want to do is today I'm going to just introduce um, the city of Ephesus to you. I'm going to show you some pictures. I'm going to show you some stuff that's going to help us to kind of get a backdrop, if you might say, of what was going on in the time of Paul and the time of this city's history. And I want to begin to go into just that history part of it today. So teenagers, believe it or not, you're going to enjoy history today, okay? Okay, some of you like history. Well, today it's going to be fun. That's why you're in here today. You guys like history? You're going to learn why, 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 the why behind some of this. And you're going to understand why I'm talking about it. So... Who, who was the book of Ephesians written to? <laughs> the church in Ephesus. Brilliant. Paul is the writer of, Ephes- of Ephesians, okay? And Paul, when he writes the book of Ephesians, it's in approximately 60 A.D. Does anybody know about 60 A.D.? 60 A.D.? Okay, so really it's actually about 30-some years after the death of Christ, okay? So, uh, so we're talking about around 30 years. So the gospel had been being preached because A.D. is not after his death, okay? Christ was born, and we start tracking time about when he was born, okay? He lived about 33 years, but scholars, there's a lot of debate on when, but scholars say that Jesus was born around 1 to 4 B.C., okay? that's And there's a lot of discrepancy, So, but to make things easy, because we're not going to be real about details, we're going to say that Jesus around 1 B.C. was born, okay? And he died at around 33, so okay? So 33 A.D., That's not real accurate, but it's close, okay, just for for the sake of timing. 33. so if this was written in 60 ad we're talking about 28 to 30 years after jesus has has left the scene the holy spirit has been poured out the book of ephesians is being written okay are you guys with me are you tracking on that just to get a time frame we're going to do general time frames there's a lot of discrepancy on when and all that kind of stuff but that's the general reference to the book of ephesus so if we're looking at around 60 ad how old do you think paul would have been then Because Paul was actually about the same age of Christ, okay? So Paul, when he writes the book of Ephesus, is around, we'll say, 60 years old, okay? 60 to 64 in that neighborhood. Again, it's, it's, it's not an exact science, okay? You have to base it upon when leaders died and all that kind of stuff. So Paul is a man uh, in his late 50s to early 60s, we'll say, okay? So he's not just a young pup anymore, I mean, 30 30 years have actually transpired since Christ had died, and the gospel had been being preached, and Paul had went all over the map, and he had been preaching the gospel, okay? And people had been getting saved. Now, um, where is the city of Ephesus? This is where our PowerPoint's going to start. So if we could get the PowerPoint up, guys. Here is, now guys, hang with me. You're going to understand why we're doing this. Over here is Ephesus. Everybody see that right there? You see that little inlet right there? Ephesus is a port city. It is kind of the crossroads of this whole. This is actually Turkey today. Everybody say Turkey. Okay? This is Greece and Athens. Rome's right here. Jerusalem's over here. Egypt's down here. Uh where the 30 or 21 Christian. Egyptians just got killed. They got killed right there on the Mediterranean Sea that's in the news today. Okay. Remember that? Okay. Those guys got killed right here, right on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. So this whole area, Paul has been evangelizing. Paul's been going all over the place. Now we're not talking about two or 300 miles. It's thousands of miles from Jerusalem all the way to Rome and back in here. And he goes back and forth and Paul is preaching the gospel. But when the book of Ephesians is written, he's already already been to Ephesus and spent three years of his life there, okay? Why am I doing this? You're going to see why I'm doing this. So, Ephesus is a port city, and there is a lot of people that go in and out of Ephesus. I mean, they trade olive oil. They trade supplies there. The boats come in and out of this port like crazy. It is the crossroads of Asia. Minor, okay. Now it's going to be important when we get to this. Okay, the next slide I got here. Did that just shut off on us? Can we turn it back on? All right. Now I want to show you a little bit of the history here about what was going on during this time, and this is all going to make sense as we go. Here is what the region is like. Now this is the city, city of Ephesus. Okay, I'm giving you a timeline here. Again, this is before Christ. In 750, okay, you see here, everybody looking there? In 750, the Cimmerians seized the city of Ephesus. Now, the Cimmerians. I'm going to go back a slide now, they were in southern Europe, which is up over here, okay? Cimmerians come down and they attack the city of Ephesus and they take the city of Ephesus, okay? After this, in 650... People revolt against the Cimarans and it, because of their tyrant leadership. And the Cimarans and they and, and they, they attack the Simerans, and they basically set up their own government and begin to rule their city. Well, that doesn't last very long, as you can see, because the people, when the people revolt, then in 560, the Lydian king, Croesus, attacks the city. Now you guys are gonna say, why is he going to all this detail? You're gonna understand here in a short bit. Now The Lydians, everybody say Lydians. They were the original people in the land. So really what they're doing is they're coming back to take their land, and they're coming back to take the city of Ephesus. And so king, however you want to pronounce his name, Croesus uh, is where I'm going to land on that. He comes back, and he takes the city back. And he, at this time, 10 years later, what he does is in 550, he builds the temple of Artemis, which is a Greek goddess, okay? Because the Lydians worship the Greek goddess Artemis. Everybody say Artemis with me, okay? And it is a magnificent temple that is built, okay? Then we move on, and then the Persians, which is now Iran, okay? So if I go back, Iran is over here my map's not big enough okay but it's over here and iran comes and they attack the city of ephesus and they take control of the city and so guess what we have now change of ownership are you guys getting a picture of what's going on in the middle east then in 343 bc the macedonians with the alexander the great he takes control from the persians okay so Alexander the Great now has Ephesus. Don't get too bored here. We'll, you'll, you'll make sense here. And then Alexander's uh, commander in 323, when Alexander dies, and it's possibly of malaria or poisoning, nobody knows, but Alexander the Great dies, and his commander of armies, he takes control of the part of, this, of his kingdom. So Alexander the Great, you got to realize, guys, in this whole process of in, in Ephesians, Ephesus, excuse me, Everybody is wanting the city of Ephesus. Why do you guys think everybody wants the city of Ephesus? It's very prosperous, and and it's a port city, and it is a central location for everything to come in and to go out of, okay? And every kingdom is trying to build its kingdom. I mean, you got Rome that's trying to build its kingdom. You got Iran that's trying to build its. The Lydians, the Persians, all of them are trying to get more land. They're trying to take over every area and they're trying to build their kingdoms. And the point that I'm trying to make, and I I could go on with every detail about each person because each one you can see, and eventually it gets to the Romans. Uh, and the Rome actually takes over the city of Ephesus, and Rome begins to just really spread out in this region. And, and you might say, well, why is this so important? You know, one of the things that we don't understand in America is we don't understand war. We don't understand the culture of war. We don't understand that, it, that right now, as we speak, the Middle East is in constant conflict. War never stops over there. Has it stopped here? I mean, in essence, on our own territory it has, but we're engaged in conflict and war in America all the time. We have have soldiers everywhere in the world because there's war. There's dictators. There's tyrants. There's people who want to take over because we're in a spiritual battle. You know, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities and powers. And there is an antichrist spirit that is spreading throughout the land that doesn't want God. It doesn't want Christ. It doesn't want the kingdom of heaven. Right. And so this region of Ephesus was littered with war. And I want to ask you how would that make a difference in the gospel being preached? I mean, we have it really easy in America. We take it for granted. But there was this culture that Paul was going into that was littered with war. It was littered with conflict. And right now, when Paul's coming to Ephesus on his third missionary journey, it's been the most stable that it's been, and it's been under Roman occupation for about 90 years. And this city of Ephesus is prospering right now in Roman control and it's starting to really grow. And the city is now grown to about 200,000 people, which is a big city. It's about the third or fourth largest city now in Asia Minor when Paul is in, in on the scene. And Paul knows, if I can reach Ephesus, if I can get to Ephesus and I can preach the gospel, man, that place can explode and the gospel can go out from Ephesus like crazy. That was his goal. Does that sound like a good goal? Okay. Okay. Good. so that's exactly what paul does paul goes to ephesus it's a hostile area there's war and paul comes in on the scene and he starts preaching the gospel of christ to this largely gentile community and it has a small jewish community there's a jewish synagogue there and the jews some of them are being converted to christianity they're believing that christ is the messiah and so some of them are getting saved and some of them are refuting it some of them are not believing it And so Paul comes into the scene, and this Asia Minor, this Ephesus city, is this melting pot. It's this place where everything is sold. I mean, it's a wealthy community with nice houses, marble streets, huge theater, gymnasiums, public baths, a brothel where you could have sex with anybody that you wanted to have sex with, unfortunately. It was a crazy city. It had a marketplace, but it was also a very, very corrupt city. If you can imagine war and the instability of war, if you can imagine all the pleasures of life being there, the city of Ephesus had it. We'll call it Las Vegas of Asia Minor. Okay, now. That is the theater in Ephesus. Look how big that thing is. Built out of the side of a mountain. Seated 24,000 people. We're going to read about it here in a little bit. Isn't that massive? Here's an artist's rendition of the city of Ephesus. Here is that theater that you just seen. It had a three-story wall in front of it here so that the sound could be projected so that when they did their theater, you could hear them. They didn't need a sound system. When someone spoke, you could hear them just like you're hearing me. This, up on the hill, was the temple of Artemis. Look how big it is. And these are all the houses. This is an artist's rendition. And we have another layout that I'm going to show you. Here's another layout. Here's the great theater in Ephesus that is still there. The houses. Here's the temple. We got all this. This This here right there is the bay where the water came in. That's the port. This here, the lower Agora, that's where the central market, where they sold all the stuff. And so this was a thriving city. Okay, here's another temple down here, another god, temple of, Dimin- of Domitian. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy place. Can you guys kind of get a feel for what the city looked like there a little bit? Hey, here's a good one. Toilets. Those are the actual toilets of Ephesus, guys. How would you like to? This this was for men only. Open air seats. Can you imagine? Hey, Alger, come sit with me. The actual men, hey, buddy, let's go take a dump together. Hey, dude, you're pretty ripe. I'll let your imagination go there. There is a reason why it was open air. And they ran water right here, and so they would wash their hands and everything. So there was running water that came through that natrine right there. They would wash their hands, and they would actually socialize around the john. Isn't that pretty cool? So have you heard Paul's latest message today? Pretty cool, huh? So this stuff is actually still here, guys. This is a real city, a real place. Paul went and Paul preached. A place where Paul went and evangelized on the toilet. <laughs> it's good stuff. Now I want to show a little video. We're going to show a little video here where another guy went over to the city of Ephesus and he filmed it and he, kind of, he did this for his own study. And I, I robbed it off of the internet and we'll, we'll, we'll show you a little f- more things as he walks the city of Ephesus and shows you a few things and then I'll come back and explain a few other things. So go ahead, roll it guys interesting, isn't it? Everybody like that real well? And later in our our study, we will get to that relational part and how God is wanting us to walk. One of the things we need to realize about the city of Ephesus is they were polytheists, okay? What do you guys think that means? They believed in many gods, okay? So Christianity believes in one God, Yahweh, right? Right? And so when Paul comes on the scene, he's coming into a scene, he's coming into a city where they believe in multiple gods, okay? But the main god that they worshiped in Ephesus was Artemis, which I mentioned earlier, and I showed you briefly of her temple. But here's what her, that's what she looked like, okay? So if you can imagine, they made idols of her. She was called the multiple-breasted one because she was a goddess of fertility, And as you see the quail and the animals down here as well, she was also the goddess of the woods. And so they believed that as you worshipped her, you would have plenty of food and you'd have fertility and all kinds of stuff would be yours if you worshipped her. And she had, they had a huge, huge temple for her in that city. And here is a picture of the temple. And that is her at the top of the temple. And uh, so if you can imagine this being the size of a football field, this temple, it was one of the seven wonders of the world in Asia, and people flocked to the city of Ephesus to come see this temple and to worship this goddess Artemis, okay? Okay. So if you can imagine people coming in and out of the city, and this is the atmosphere by which Paul is going into, because when the book of Ephesus is actually written, it's written in around 60 AD, but Paul actually goes to this city, and he is there from about 54 to 57, okay? So three years prior to him writing the book of Ephesians, he is actually in this city, and he's actually preaching the gospel here. People from all around flocked to this temple. And Artemis was noted as having fallen down from the sky, which we're going to read in Scripture. The temple and the streets were strewn with uh, multiple immoral goddess prostitutes. People could experience more of this goddess. They could experience more of this goddess. You guys ready for this? This is PG 13. People could experience more of the goddess's power by sexual intimacies with her priests and priestess. It was a wicked city, immoral immorality flourished, and flooded over to the society and families. So people literally worshiped this idol, okay? Now what we're going to do is we're going to now read a passage of scripture. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take us back to the book of Acts when Paul actually comes to this city, Okay? I've set the stage of what's happened in the city. They worship many, many different gods. This is the queen that they worship. They, it's, it's, it's a perverted place. Entertainment, food, pleasures are there. And they don't believe in one god. They believe in many gods. And Paul comes in on the scene in about 54 AD. And we're going to read the passage. So if you guys would, I could act the scripture out. We're going to read it. Everybody cool? You guys got ready for some reading? Yeah. Is everybody ready for some reading? Yeah. I say I love reading. We're going to read a whole chapter. Oh my. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. But here's what I want you to do. When we read this chapter, I don't want you to fall asleep. <laughs> I want you to let the movie reel go in your brain. I want you to be creative. I want you to put yourself there. Put yourself in the streets of Ephesus that you've just seen. And let's relive this. Let's walk with Paul in the book of Acts, chapter 19, if everybody go there. If you don't have your Bible with us, I hope you got your notebook and you can write these down. And they're going to flash this passage up. Go ahead, Adam. And we're going to start reading this. This is Paul coming into Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Okay, so he found some guys that were believers in the Lord, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Jesus went on to say, "Well, Paul, Paul. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, before I go any further." Um, one thing I want to make sure you guys realize some translations tell you there are about 12 men in all Some of your guys is translated. So if you can imagine let's set the scene paul comes into Ephesus. He finds 12 guys who are believers. They're disciples And he starts talking about the gospel and how they need christ and all this And so they get baptized in the holy Ge- holy spirit and they begin to speak in tongues and they prophesied They were oh I didn't realize it was on there. My bad. There were about 12 men in there. All right. Well, I was thinking my, that translation didn't have it. Paul entered the synagogue. What is a synagogue? What kind of church? A Jewish church. What do Jews believe? They don't believe that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. They don't believe he was the Messiah. Okay? So there, he comes to the synagogue and he's preaching Christ. Christ. Guys, the Messiah has come. 30 years ago, he died, raised from the dead, and he's coming into this synagogue where there's Jews, and he's trying to teach them that, hey, there's more. He's come. You need to receive Christ, the son of the living God, okay? So he enters this Jewish synagogue, and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. What do you think obstinate means? Stubborn, hard heart. They refused to believe and publicly maligned or spoke badly about the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, in that video we watched, they talked about the hall of Tyrannus. There was a smaller theater. That he showed, and and they believe that the Hall of Tyrannus looked a lot like this. So it would have been an open theater, smaller in nature, not the 24,000 people. And the Hall of Tyrannus was where Tyrannus taught and lectured, okay? And so Paul was going to somebody else's lecture hall, it was open air. And he was going to begin to teach in the hall of Tyrannus. Here's what they do. The customs in, Jew, in the Jewish customs and the Gentiles in Asia Minor. Here's what their day looked like. They got up, worked in the morning. And around 12, 1 o'clock, they took a break from 1 to 4. And they did a siesta. They, did, they took a break. They went to the city market, bought stuff. And they didn't work. And then from 4 on, they went, went back to work. A little different than America, right? So from 1 to 4, the Tyrannus hall would take a break as well. And t- Paul made an agreement with Tyrannus, let me preach and teach during that time. And so they, they made a deal. And so Paul would come in this hall while everybody had the four, day, four the, the hours off of rest. And he would come in and he would begin to preach. He would begin to teach. And he did it for two and a half years. Okay. Everybody say two and, years. two and a half years. So this went on for oh two years. Two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Still with me? God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. That's some power, wouldn't you say? Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, Jews... Okay, okay, who are Jews? Okay, they, they they didn't know about Jesus, okay? Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, so they, they were exorcists here, okay? They were exorcists. And they tried to invoke the name of the Lord, Jesus, over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, who preaches, I, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So if you can imagine us up here praying, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out. Let's look what happened. Go back one. I think you... I command you to come out. Okay, you did go all the way. Keep going. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Haha. You guys remember the story, hopefully. Keep going. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, <laughs> and I know about Paul, but who in the daylights are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Would you call that a butt whooping? <laughs> so this demon-possessed man, if you guys can imagine it, ravishes these seven sons of Sceva. Who was a, he, he, they were the sons of the Jewish priest because they were trying to exercise the power that Paul had in the name of Jesus. And they get their butt whipped when this became known to the jews and greeks living in ephesus they were all seized with what and the name of the lord jesus was what held in high honor this is what's going on in ephesians okay many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds now look go back there stay right there for just a second Those who believed now came and openly confessed their sins. Revival was starting to hit the city of Ephesus. Repentance began to fall over the city because people were involved in all kinds of evil that I just already talked about. The reason people were demon-possessed is because they had slept with the demonic spirits of the Greek goddess Artemis. They had opened themselves to all kinds of perversion and sexual crap that opens yourself. When you get involved in sexual crap, you open yourself to the demonic. If you do it outside of the covenant of marriage, you're opening big doors. And this city had opened all kinds of doors sexually and people were demon possessed. Do we have any of that hanging out in America? Oh, yeah, we sure do. We need some people full of the Holy Spirit and power to cast out some demons. Hello? Amen. Amen. And so they began to openly confess their evil deeds. Keep going. A member who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. A drachma is a silver coin that's the value of one day's wage. Let's say the average American makes, let's be generous, okay? What do you want to say an average American makes per day? $75, $100 to make it easy. $100 a day, 50,000 times $100. That's some serious jack of stuff sorcery books witchcraft all the demonic stuff their readings their horoscopes their greek mythology they brought to the city agora and they lighted on fire as they've repented and they're turning to jesus christ tell me that wouldn't be exciting that's called a bonfire In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. (laughs) After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. All right, he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia. Now, if that map, if I had that map up here, you guys, here's the map. Okay, Ephesus is here, Macedonia is up here to the left, okay, about 150 to 200 miles away, not a long, long way away. And so while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So he sends Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia because that's where he's going to go next. Spirit of God's already been dealing with Paul's heart about moving from Ephesus. He's been there about two and a half to three years. He's preached the gospel. Things have happened. Revival's coming. People are repenting. People are letting stuff go. They're getting their hearts to Jesus Christ. And the city of Ephesus is changing. How about that for Newcastle and the surrounding region? Yeah, buddy. That's happening. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis. Who was Artemis? The many-breasted Greek goddess, right? The silver shrines of Artemis, they brought in no little business. So what that means is they made some serious jack. Big money in the silversmith business. So if you can imagine these shrines of this Greek goddess, and these guys were making a lot of money making these, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, keep going. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, listen, guys, <laughs> men, you know we receive a good income from this business. He called them together and he said, see, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large number numbers of people here in Ephesus and in, practi- and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. Stay there. So now picture this. These silversmiths, they're saying, this gospel is going throughout all of Asia. That whole part of that map that I showed you, it's that whole, that whole area. And people are getting saved and accepting Christ. And Paul's telling everybody that man-made gods are no gods at all. Keep going. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, the size of a football field, will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Keep going. When they heard this, they were, what? They were honked off, and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, they shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Keep going. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and our, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and, 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 and rushed as one man into the theater. So just imagine, they're getting honked off. And they rush in and get Paul's helpers. They pull him into the theater. What was the theater? Remember the theater, the big huge place? And they're angry. A mob is breaking out. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd But the disciples would not let him. Why do you think they wouldn't let him? Huh? Yeah, I think they would have done a number to Paul. Okay, keep going. We're almost done. You guys are hanging in there. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, now what we're talking about there, we're talking about some high-ranking officials in the city were friends with Paul because they had come to know Christ as well. They beg him, and they say, they send him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Keep going. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and others another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? Hey, we'll just shout with you. We don't know why we're here, but yeah, great is Artemis, great as Artemis. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front. And some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. Keep going. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian Of the temple of the great Artemis and her image, which fell from heaven. (laughs) Keep going. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. Now that really surprised me. I would think Paul was blaspheming the, the, the idol Artemis. But he wasn't worried about what God wasn't doing. He was worried about what God was doing. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro they can press charges. Keep going. We're almost done. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in legal assembly. And it is we are in, If as it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly and they all dismissed. Then Paul, keep going, and when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for his disciples and after encouraging them, he said goodbye and he set out for Macedonia. I believe that's the end of that. Is that the end of that passage? And so now the uproar has happened. Paul has been preaching. The city's in uproar. The silversmith are losing money, and Paul now moves to the other city. He leaves the church in the care of Timothy, and he leaves the church in care of Apollos, and he goes on to Macedonia. Are you guys with me? Does that sound like fun? So this is his third missionary journey. Now, you've got to remember, this was from 54 to, to, to 57 A.D., okay? And so three years would go by, and Paul would then write the book of Ephesians. But this is, I'm just giving you the account of what happened in, in Ephesus and how things changed. Paul would pass through Ephesus one more time. And he would say goodbye to them and tell them that he would not see them again. And we're going to read that passage here, and then I'm going to make my conclusions on where we're going. Okay, let's read this passage. So Paul's left for Macedonia. He does his thing in Macedonia. He passes back through Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem. And this is what he says to him. From Maltus. Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would help be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So Paul knows, guys, the Spirit of God's dealing with me. He know, I know that hardship is coming my way. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Now imagine, he's with the elders of the the church in Ephesus. And he says, Guys, this is the last time you're going to see my face. He spent almost three years with them. What do you think their hearts would have been? Oh, don't leave, Paul. Don't leave us. He knows that he's getting ready to be in prison. He knows the warning of the Spirit of God is on him that where I go to Jerusalem, he's already had a prophetic word, you're going to be bound, Paul. They're going to bind you in Jerusalem, and they're going to send you to jail. And that's exactly what they did. They bound Paul when he got to Jerusalem, and they sent him to Rome, and they put him in prison. And when he's in prison, he writes the book of Ephesians. And the reason I'm giving you all this history is because Paul, once he gets to Ephesus, or once he passes through Ephesus, and once he gets put in jail, and he's in jail, God gives him some powerful revelation about the gospel of God's grace that he wants the church to get. And so let's go ahead and finish that. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers in Ephesus. They were overseers, they were pastors, they were shepherds of the church there. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And just to give a side note, what Paul was saying is from one to four, he preached and taught, but you know what? He had made tents. He made tents. And so in the morning and the evening, he would make tents, and he sold tents for money, and he didn't take any money for the gospel. He didn't have a wife. He sacrificed his life all for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He never became a burden to anyone, and he, he, he gave up his rights And he served the body of Christ. When he went that last meeting, I have no doubt that there were tears. I mean, it's the end of 57 AD. He already knows he's going to prison. And you know what? When he's in prison in 60, he he, he writes the book of Ephesians that we're getting ready to study. We're getting ready to study the very revelation that Jesus Christ gave Paul in prison in Rome. And what happens, guys, it's really amazing. Just about eight years later, Paul would be beheaded. Just like the Christian Egyptians, they would take a sword and they would chop his head off in prison in Rome, all for the declaring of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same thing that's happened today, over there. Is still happening. There's a war going, and it's a war that's been going on from the very beginning between God and the enemy. And Jesus Christ wins. Isn't that good news? But, guys, let's not take the book of Ephesians lightly. This man gave his life for the gospel, and he has this revelation that he's wanting to be distributed, not just to Ephesus, but this letter that we are getting ready to read. Six chapters. Take it reverently. Man, Paul paid it for you guys. He made a way for you to have a revelation of the glory of God and what he's done to us and through us. He wants you to know your identity is secure in him. He wants you to know who you are in Christ and that there is power in you to demonstrate the gospel and to help set others free. And so, Paul, we now come and he's in prison and he begins to pen this book that is going to be distributed throughout Asia Minor. There's not correction in the book. He's not saying, you bunch of boneheads. He's not correcting something in the church. He's trying to bring a revelation to the church. And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks is we're going to dive into that revelation. We're going to dive into it of what he was trying to declare. And I'm with broad strokes. I'm going to paint a picture for us as we dive into this together. But here's the K. If you wait on me to bring it and don't do some of the studying yourself, you're going to miss out on what God wants to speak to you. Now, here's what you're going to need over the next week. You guys ready for this? You're going to need some resources. What is this? What kind of Bible is this? Study Bible. Bible. What's the difference between a Bible and a study Bible? I don't know. Tell me, George. A study Bible. Some of you need to go invest in a study Bible this week. Some of you have Bibles that have no cross-references, have no explanations. A study Bible actually explains some of the stuff that's going on. It gives you cross-references to go from this scripture to another one, and it helps you study the Word. I'm going to help you in that journey next week. I'm going to help break some of that down to teach you how to study the Bible and how to mine out truth, okay? It's going to be some application. I'm going to try to make it exciting, okay? I'm going to try to make it fun, because everybody in America has to have fun. But we won't go there, right? I am going to try to help us because I'm telling you what, this is a pleasure. So you need to do this. If you don't have a study Bible, go buy a study Bible. 50 to 60 bucks, best investment you'll ever make in your life. I remember years ago I was preaching a message. I hit a $50 bill in the sanctuary and I hit a brand new Bible in the sanctuary. Guess what everybody wanted? The $50 bill. They didn't want this. This is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. I can't know how to live without it. It's powerful. So you're going to need this. You're going to need a journal. You're going to need a notebook. Look at all my notes. Look at all the stuff I write down. Because here's what's going to happen as we read chapter 1 next week of Ephesians. There's going to be a word. There's going to be something that sticks out. And you're going to write the word down in your journal. And you're going to say, okay, God, why are you highlighting this to me? Why did that come off the page? I'm going to talk next week about how when I was reading chapter 1 of Ephesians, the word that stuck out to me was chosen. And I'm going to take you through the Scripture, and I'm going to use a Bible program to help navigate that on where God took me in my own revelation with the word chosen. Okay? Okay? But you guys are going to give different words. When you read the book of Ephesians, when you read chapter 1, something's going to be highlighted and you've got to write it down. And then you pray Ephesians 1, 17. God, I ask that you would enlighten me, that you would give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know what you're trying to speak to my heart. That's how it works. Anybody have a computer? Who does not have a computer in this house that can get on the internet? I'm not to embarrass you. You have no possible access to a computer. Wow, has America changed? (laughs) Write this down. You ready? Write it down. Because if you have a computer, I'm not saying don't go buy this, go buy this, but this is going to help you if you don't have that. Biblehub.com. Everybody say with me, Biblehub.com. Bible hub, 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 Bible yeah. <laughs> Bible hub Biblehub.com. There we go. I'm a poet and don't know it. Chuck Cooley, and I'm going to ask uh, somebody else to help him. get those bo- there's a couple boxes underneath my chair. We're going to invest in you guys, every family we want one to have. one. This is a, per, a devotional on the book of Ephesians. You can take this and go over this with your, just raise your hands. Each family, if you could take one, that way we make sure we have enough. And all you teenagers, you get one individually, that's fine. But this is, a, this is another resource that we're going to sow into you. And this is a daily devotional on just the book of Ephesians that will help you in the journey. If you're in a place where you want more than one, they're five bucks a piece. I'm sowing one into each family, okay? How's that sound? Tom and I felt led to do that because this is really, really critical that we all get on the same page. If you have a concordance, that's a huge help too. But here's really what you're going to need also. You're going to need time, your will, and a hungry heart. Your time, your will and a hungry heart. Your time, your will, and a hungry heart. What you're going to need is your time, your will, and your hungry heart. Is there anybody here that can carve out time every day to get in the book of Ephesians? Is there anybody here that will engage their will and say, man, I think this sounds like a fun study and I need to dive into it? I will engage my will and I will go with this church on this journey. And how about a hungry heart? Oh, he's out. Okay. Thank you. Is that all of them? Wow. I think we bought 80 of them. All right. Oh, by the way, you can have one too, Chuck. I think Tom's got them. If we run out, we'll get more. Let me know if we ran out. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You have your computer that you can go on (laughs) BibleHub.com. I'm not teaching you today how to use that. I will help teach that. Tom's going to stay up in the computer, and he's going to help next week on navigating some of that and teaching you how to look up some things on that, okay? You have your computer, biblehub.com. You got a journal. You got your study Bible. You got a concordance. You got your Ephesians study. You got all the resources you need in order to get a great revelation. I tell you what, one of the things God has spoken over this house is he's raising up an army. He's raising up young men and women who are going to be radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God who know how to win and know how to fall in love with Jesus and know the word of God. Can I have an amen on that? Stand with me. Did that wet your appetite a little bit? I gave you a lot of history and background on the city of Ephesus today to kind of give you a feel for what was going on in this powerful book that we're getting ready to read. If we could just put a little music on, I'm really wanting to uh, just get us all quiet before the Lord. I know it's 1225 and it went a lot longer than I thought, Um, but I really want you to engage your will before the Lord. I've tried to paint a picture today of a powerful book that we're getting ready to read, but I'm asking you, will you make a commitment to the Lord? If you would just close your eyes. And you don't have to say it to me, but what is the commitment that you're going to make to the Lord on this study of Ephesians as we go together? Is there a yes in your spirit? If there's not, then you need to say, oh God, I don't feel what everybody else is feeling, but I want to. I want to be excited about your word. I want to go there. And you just simply tell him that. And the God of peace will come and he will begin to draw your heart into this study. But really, I'm looking for a yes in your heart. I'm asking you, will you go with us? I'm really excited about this study. I've never went verse by verse and did a study like this. But it's time. It's time. It's time. Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you say yes, I'll give you my time, Lord, this week. I will get in Ephesians 1. Is that your commitment tonight? I will give you my time. I will give you my will. I say yes. And I will choose to have a hungry heart. Say, Lord, I want more. I need more. So just quietly right now, if you would, just commit yourself to the Lord. Just tell him what you want to tell him. Lord, I promise to delight myself in your word. Go ahead and say that. Lord, I promise to delight myself in your word. Lord, I will give you time. I will remove pleasures from my life of TV and other distractions. And I will give that time to you so that you can deal with my heart. <laughs> So that you can give me a revelation. And now, Lord, I ask you to make me hungry. Stir my heart. Put a craving in me for more of you. I surrender my life. I want to be like Paul. Gave his whole life for the gospel. As the Lord teach us your ways this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we're going to have fun with this. God bless you. Go and be blessed. If you're here today and need prayer, our altar team would be more than happy to pray with you. But God bless you and have a great day.